Located about 25 miles from Columbus, Ohio, Circleville is the type of small town where everyone knows everyone else. It's the kind of place where you can leave your doors unlocked overnight because you feel safe in the knowledge that your neighbors are good, honest American citizens. Beginning in 1976, though, all of that changed. An anonymous author began sending thousands of terrifying letters to the residents of Circleville. Politicians got them, as well as ordinary citizens. The letters contained threats of violence and were often extremely hateful and vulgar. Not one of the Circleville letters had any return address, and all appeared to come from somewhere within Columbus. Most were written in the same distinct style, block letters, which might have been an attempt to cover up the author's personal handwriting. Who was this mysterious letter writer? Why were these letters being written? Can the letters be blamed for the death of one Circleville resident? Stay with me as we dive into the enigma of the Circleville letters. I'm Jaden McKell, and you're listening to Straight Up Enigmas. Welcome to the podcast. I am going to jump right into today's topic without too much more introduction. I just wanted to mention that since I posted a more supernatural episode last Tuesday, I wanted to come back to a good old-fashioned true crime discussion before the Halloween episode next week. Since I post each Tuesday and Halloween is on Wednesday, next week's episode is going to be especially spooky since it's Halloween Eve. All Hallow's Eve, Eve. That's a thing, I promise. Alright, so I feel like I say this all the time, but this story of the Circleville letters is a head-scratcher. I have been thinking about it all week long, and I've realized that it's not just the situation these people were put in, but their reactions to what was happening that really is just so crazy to me. I've been so excited to get this one out to you guys to see what you think. As I mentioned in the intro, Circleville, Ohio is a small town, just your typical friendly Midwest neighborhood until 1976. In 1976, the town only had about 14,000 residents. And several residents started getting these letters delivered directly to their homes, right in their mailboxes, often containing personal information that these people claimed no one else could have possibly known about them. Literally thousands of letters were sent out, but Mary Gillespie, a school bus driver, seems to have been targeted in particular. In one of the letters, the author told Mary that he was watching her house. He knew she had kids and and he talks about them in the letter. Not only is Mary being watched, but the letter also accuses Mary of having an affair with the superintendent of schools, Gordon Massey. In no unclear terms, the author demanded that she stop, that she was not the subject of a hoax or a prank. So, understandably, Mary is upset. She's scared, but she just she just hides the letters. She doesn't tell her husband, Ron Gillespie, 
what's going on, and she just keeps an eye out for this mysterious stalker. Everything goes okay until one of the Circleville letters arrives addressed to Ron Gillespie, Mary's husband. This one was straight to the point. It said that Ron had to put an end to the affair or die. Mary told Ron that she had no clue what the author was talking about and that no affair was taking place. This could have just been a failed attempt at blackmail, but the damage to Mary's reputation had already been done. Just the idea, the rumor, that she was having an affair with the school superintendent was enough to get the gossipers going. Both Ron and Mary worked together to try and ignore the threats and intimidation and carry on with their lives. Then, one day, they got another letter that read, Gillespie, you have had two weeks and done nothing. Admit the truth and inform the school board. If not, I will broadcast it on CBS. Posters, signs, and billboards until the truth comes out. The couple started to debate over who the possible Circleville letter writer could be. They had only told three other people about the letters they were getting. They told Ron's sister and her husband, Paul Freshour, and Paul's sister. Their suspicions, though, centered on Ron's brother-in-law, Paul Freshour. To test this theory that they had, the Gillespie sent Freshour several similarly written letters outlining that they knew who he was and what he was up to. A request to stop all letter writing without resorting to violence was included, and it looked like their scheme had worked and the harassment was finally over. But this wouldn't be an enigma if the story stopped there, right? On August 19th, 1977, the phone rang at the Gillespie home and Ron answered. Mary never found out what was said or who made the call, but it was assumed to be the phantom author. He was back. Ron lost his temper. He, he lost it. He grabbed his pistol and left the house. At an intersection close to where they lived, Ron's car hit a tree, killing Ron Gillespie. If the caller was really the letter writer, then he or she had finally carried out their threat on Ron's life. When the police investigated the crash, they discovered that Ron's gun had been fired once. Detectives could find no reason or excuse for Ron to have fired at all, whether it was on purpose or not. The crash happened only moments after Ron drove away and no shot was reported. The crash was ruled to be an accident even though some really weird facts emerged. The autopsy and post-mortem exam recorded that Ron's blood alcohol level was uh, one and a half times the legal limit. Those that knew Ron best were all completely surprised to hear this though. They confirmed that Ron was not a drinker. He never drank at all, not a drop. Now, so again, take that with a grain of salt because other articles said that he wasn't a drunk, but that didn't mean that necessarily that sometimes he liked a drink or two. Uh, the sheriff was once said to have admitted that there was more to the crash than met the eye, but later denied those claims. The mysterious letter writer began to get in contact with several residents, almost begging for a more thorough investigation to be conducted. 
It was almost as if the author wasn't satisfied with the accident conclusion. It was like he wanted everyone to know that he had had a hand in Ron's death. I just want to pause for a second, uh, you guys, and just kind of extend a challenge to you all. I'm so super grateful for all of you who are following the show. I love all the support. I just want to extend a challenge to you guys. If you're not a follower of the show yet, I would love for you to follow the show. I would love for you to post on social media about the show just to get the word out there. I think right at the end of this episode if everyone who is listening became a follower and shared at least one post about the podcast we could reach so many more people it would be awesome if we could get all of you guys following all of you guys listening that would be really helpful for the show so again thank you so much to all of you who are already following if you know of anyone who could be interested in this podcast it would be great if you could let them know about it The frequency of the letters increased now and more and more people were being contacted by the anonymous writer, but the letters continued to plague Mary Gillespie the most. The hostility shown to Mary proved to be too much for her and she cracked under the pressure. She admitted to the affair taking place, but insisted that it only began after the first of the letters had been sent. Okay, okay, so time out here. Pause. Mary finally admits to having an affair with the school superintendent, but says it didn't start until after the first letter was delivered. What does that even mean? Were they brought together by these letters? Did they get the idea of an affair from the author? Like, what? An affair? No way. Oh, but now that you mention it, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. You know, What? This is one of the biggest head scratchers for me here. It just blows my mind. It almost seems like too much of a convenience for Mary Gillespie for the affair to have started after the first letter was delivered. But don't worry, we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Despite all of this harassment and the scandal that made her the talk of the town, Mary managed to keep her job. Six years after the campaign had begun, whoever was behind everything took a bold step in changing their tactics. Driving her bus one day, Mary noticed a sign on the side of the road that threatened the life of her daughter. So, understandably, she stopped the bus and went to remove the sign. She noticed a box with a string tied to another post. Mary removed the box and returned to the bus to open it only to find that inside was a booby trap in the form of a pistol. Thankfully, the gun failed to go off and she called the police. They quickly found that someone had made a pretty rough, really hasty attempt to rub off the gun's serial number. Police traced the gun back to none other than Paul Freshour who, remember, was Ron's brother-in-law and had been suspected early on. When confronted by the police, Freshour stated that his gun had been stolen or that it had gone missing. I've seen both in some different articles, which, by the way, all these articles where I'm getting all of my information will be on the website straightupenigmas.home.blog. The gun was about the only solid lead that the police had available to them at the time. So they got Freshour to take a handwriting test where he had to copy some of the Circleville letters. 
Even if experts were able to prove that the handwriting was his, the investigation was criticized for the incorrect manner for administering the handwriting test in the first place. The sheriff was satisfied that Freshour was the Circleville letter writer, or that the handwriting was close enough at least, and he arrested Freshour for attempted murder. The trial began in late October 1983, and even though he had an alibi for the day of the booby trap attempt on Mary's life, many of Circleville's residents had already convinced themselves that Freshour was guilty even before his trial took place. He was convicted and given a sentence of 25 years in prison. While serving his time, Freshour was considered to be a model prisoner. He rarely got the chance to correspond with the outside world, and in the decade that he was incarcerated, the letters continued. Like before, they were all postmarked in Columbus, and Freshour was not sentenced to prison anywhere near Columbus. Even the prison wardens doubted that Freshour was guilty of writing the letters. Authorities, on the other hand, were not convinced. They maintained that somehow he was responsible for everything the police accused him of. While he was in prison, he even received a mysterious letter that stated, Now when are you going to believe you aren't going to get out of there? I told you two years ago. When we set them up, they stay set up. Don't you listen at all? Six months after Fresh Hour's release, the TV show Unsolved Mysteries aired an episode on the Circleville Letters. A few days later, the network got one of their own. It simply said, Forget Circleville, Ohio. If you come to Ohio, you El Sickos will pay. The Circleville Writer. So, now I've told you all about the events that took place and the outcome, I guess you could say, with Paul Freshour's verdict and imprisonment. What I want to do now is go over a few different theories surrounding the Circleville letters because not everyone is convinced that Freshour was the one or the only letter writer. I just want to mention a few other things about Freshour himself before we move on to some other possible suspects. Freshour remained in prison until he passed away in 2012. He actually created a blog where he wrote about the Circleville letters in a lot of detail and I'll include the link to that on the website straightupenigmas.home.blog. In his blog, in a 164-page PDF where he lays out the facts of the case as he sees them, he claims that the sheriff, Dwight Radcliffe, was actually keeping some of the more vulgar letters away from the media's attention to, quote, cover his tracks. Freshour says, quote, I believe that the obscene, threatening, and dangerous letters were concealed because they would interfere with Sheriff Radcliffe becoming the National Sheriff Association's president. See the day of the letters and the day of his involvement with the National Sheriff's Association. The crime rate in Pickaway County at that time would have eliminated him from this appointment. The question I have is, say you're Paul Freshour and you're innocent. You're in prison for a crime you didn't commit. You have oodles of time on your hands, and you're using your time to write an essay, basically, on why some of the letters didn't make it to the media's attention. Instead of trying to find out who the real letter writer is, you're accusing the sheriff of keeping some of the letters out of the spotlight? One of the reasons I thought this story was so interesting in the first place is the connection it has with 
the more sensational, well-known killers like the Zodiac Killer and even Jack the Ripper. Just like the Zodiac Killer and Jack the Ripper, the Circleville writer's signature was those letters. It was the almost near obsession with getting the media's attention. Obviously, the Zodiac Killer and Jack the Ripper sent their letters exclusively to the newspapers and not to ordinary citizens as far as I know. But the Circleville writer shares that obsession with wanting their crimes to be known. He practically begged people to investigate further into Ron Gillespie's death as if he craved the attention. Now, I know only one person died in Circleville, whereas in San Francisco and London, several and dozens of victims were claimed. So yes, these cases are different in that respect. But with all of that free time on your hands sitting in prison, if you were innocent, wouldn't you put more of your time and energy toward trying to find out who the real culprit is? It seems off to me. And in his blog, Fresh Hour writes a few times, maybe more, I'm not sure, I didn't read the entire 164 pages, that Mary Gillespie was not a very good mother. He said a few times something to the effect of what kind of mother would allow her kids to be in danger rather than just telling her husband about the affair and ending it, which sounds like something the actual author would say. Those that believe Freshour is innocent stated several times how gentle and mild-mannered he was. He didn't seem like the type of person who would write such hateful letters at all. That's a good point until you realize that some people might seem gentle, but on the inside, there's a whole lot more going on. And people are usually so much more comfortable expressing difficult things through writing, which is why, you know, we sometimes say no to a date or something over text rather than on the phone because it's less awkward that way. It's definitely possible that Fresh Hour had an internal struggle going on and dark thoughts that he could only figure out how to voice through writing. It didn't necessarily have to show in his outward appearance. Alright, moving away from Fresh Hour now to some other theories. Who else could have possibly been the Circleville writer? Recent information uncovered by private investigator Martin Yant and others has suggested that there were at least three letter writers involved in the case, uh, none of whom were Paul Freshour. One was believed to be the son of the superintendent, Gordon Massey, whom Mary had an affair with. The second was thought to be a co-worker who was infatuated with Mary. The third was believed to be Paul's ex-wife, Ron Gillespie's sister. This case was an episode in a comedy series called Drunk History, and the whole thing is just a parody of the case, of course. But the comedian speculated that Mary Gillespie herself might have been behind the letters, getting the stories about her neighbors from the kids on her bus route and stealing Paul's gun to use in an attempt on her life to throw off investigators. As yet, there have been no known follow-up on this theory. Even though these guys are comedians, I think there might be some validity to the idea that Mary herself was behind the letters. I just can't get over how convenient it all seems for her. Her husband dies in a mysterious car crash. They find out she was having an affair, but she has almost the perfect cover-up. This creepy, mysterious letter writer was behind it all. It would honestly be the perfect murder. 
That's all I have on the circle of the letters, you guys. Please show your support by following the show and sharing it in your social media posts. Thanks so much in advance for doing so. Join me next Tuesday for an especially creepy Halloween episode. You're not going to want to miss it. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Straight Up Enigmas.